This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. cancer was declared on December 23, 1971. On that day, President Richard Nixon signed into law the National Cancer Act, which allocated $1.5 billion for cancer research over the course of three years. Although the legislation never mentioned the word war, Nixon declared, the same kind of concentrated effort that split the atom and took man to the moon should be turned toward conquering this dreaded disease. The public is craving natural solutions that are effective yet affordable. Nearly half of patients with cancer reported that they started taking dietary supplements after being given a diagnosis of cancer. And 58% of individuals who consume dietary supplements report they do so for the prevention or treatment of cancer. In 1951, Sylvie Beljansky's father, Mirko Beljansky, Ph.D., a biologist biochemist, joined the famous Pasteur Institute in Paris, France. Convinced that there was value in a different approach to cancer, he started to entirely rethink the origin of the disease. As he tested his revolutionary theory, he went on to develop natural molecules able to selectively block cancerous cell multiplication without killing healthy cells. When he began to accumulate scientific evidence and publish his results, he ran into major opposition. The conventional oncology community ostracized him, despite the fact that his theories on cancer treatment were aimed at complementing chemotherapy and radiation, not replacing them. That did not prevent François Mitterrand in 1992, then president of France, to turn to Beljansky's plant extracts during his battle with advanced prostate cancer. What happened next started off Sylvie Beljansky's own journey. Valeria interviews Sylvie Beljansky, the author of Winning the War on Cancer, The Epic Journey Towards a Natural Cure. Sylvie Beljansky was born in New York City after her father, Mirko Beljansky, Ph.D., came to New York to pursue a two-year fellowship with Nobel Prize winner Severo Ochoa, known for his DNA research on living cells. Raised and educated in Paris, she attended the Sorbonne, where she received her law degree and was admitted to the French Bar. 
1996, Ms. Beljansky founded Natural Source International Limited, a company that brings together science and nature to create innovative natural-slash-organic health and beauty products. These well-known products are now used around the world. In 1999, Ms. Beljansky founded the Beljansky Foundation, a registered nonprofit whose mission is to further Dr. Beljansky's research within a network of high-profile research institutions. Since then, she has been serving as vice president of the foundation, relentlessly spreading the word and educating the public about the effects of environmental toxins on our health. Ms. Beljansky is a sought-after speaker at health and wellness conferences globally, where she has educated thousands of people about the importance of detoxification as a defense against harmful toxins that can cause serious disease and infections. She recommends the Beljansky approach to wellness as a practical means to avoid environmental toxins, remove them, and repair the cellular process. Here is the interview with Sylvie Beljansky. In your own words, who is Sylvie Beljansky? My, what a loaded question, you know. I'm over 60, so <laughs> it has been a long life and uh, going through a lot of a lot of a lot of things. I mean, uh, ups and downs uh, that, like, which in the end make who we are. Uh, I, you know, yeah. started uh, being a lawyer, then uh, I became not by choice, but because of conviction, I became. Uh, CEO of a company, and then I became a health advocate. And that's, I guess, I am uh, somebody who is following her conviction. I think that's what would define me more than anything else. I don't bend to rules if I find them stupid. I would rather Mm -hmm. rewrite my own rules. But it's a sense of fairness. Uh, sense of equalities that made me choose uh, to go to law school and I think uh, is a directing ingredient in my life. Yeah, I love that. And you mentioned in your book, finding your voice. Yeah, that is so important in life, right? So I have a few warm-up questions before we talk about the topics in your book. Winning the War on Cancer, the Epic Journey Towards a Natural Cure. So my first warm-up question is, what is life to you, Sylvie? Life is flow. Life is something that it's a journey and uh, you have to be proud of the journey. That's, for me, that's the most important. It's not so much what you know, you achieve, actually. It's not so much what you amass. It's not what you get. It's not uh, official recognition. What matters is to be proud of, of the journey. What do you think is the opposite of life? Oh, probably, technically, it's death or non-existence. <laughs> uh, yeah. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Freedom is... For me, it is the opportunity to focus on what is important to me and not being dependent on anything or anybody else. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need and what is your vision for a new reality? 
I think the world now needs needs kind of reset. We have lost our ways, uh, and we don't know we don't know really what is important to us now. Everything has become a, a highly political. And what is really important is lost to to the benefit of petty politics. And we don't know what is important anymore to mankind and to build, uh, you know, to, to leave something to the next generation. Now, speaking of something important, <laughs> what is love to you? Well, there are many ways to love. Uh, that depends who, who you love. I mean, you don't leave your your parents like you love your spouse like you love your pet uh, but it's what is common denominator is that you forget about yourself you stop being selfish and you put the other person's needs first what is your understanding and idea of peace peace it depends if you speak about peace for a person of or you know country Peace is what allows us to also to focus on what is important. Uh, if we are at war, we just it's, it's just a spiraling destruction of everything. You don't win any war. I mean, you are always losing. It's a war is always lose lose proposition. Yeah, so true. Although there's this, this um, idea that I read somewhere, I guess, that there's always someone who gains during war. Uh, temporarily. Yeah, right, right. I agree. I absolutely agree, Sylvie. What, where, and who is God to you? God is something which is present to us at any time in a kind of subtle way. It's not something, you know, that you, you go to church every Sunday. It's it's something that is more present in kind of grace that allows us to understand, know what is the right thing to do, uh, find the strength that we need in some at some times to be gracious when it's difficult. Uh, to yeah, that's that's a grace that comes to us to be patient, to keep our dignity when we want to scream. I love that word, grace, right? A question connected to this idea of God. Do you see the difference between spirituality and religion? Yes. Spirituality to me is something more uh, from the inside. I mean, it doesn't have to be uh, organized. It's more something which is personal relationship with that grace or that master of the universe you question or you try to connect to through meditation. Religion is something much more organized. Uh, that's where, you know, the church, the priest, the, the organizational things, things that start to be forbidden. <laughs> nice, so true. I have two more questions, the last warm-up questions. What do you think is the purpose of life itself? To make the world a better place. That leads to my next question. What do you think is the purpose and mission of your life? 
When I was a teenager, I was an, for an afternoon, I was invited to uh, by a girlfriend to go to her home and to just to, to you know, we chit chat. We were teenagers and uh, her mom was there. My little girlfriend told me, uh, you know, my mom is a storyteller. She can mm-hmm. uh, read cards and uh, tell you your future. Are you interested? <laughs> and I said, of course. I mean, I was curious. I was uh, something 14, 15. And she told me, that lady told me, your purpose uh, on this earth is to help your father. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was shocked. And that's why I remember it. I was shocked because... I felt, how can I help my father? I have no idea. I don't understand what he's doing. And it seems boring to me. So (laughs) I am definitely not going to do anything to help, you know, a scientist at the Pasteur Institute in Paris. That's that's not of no interest to me. And I don't think he needs me anyway. Uh, But I remember that. And here I am, you know, my father is no longer there and I'm still carrying his legacy. So I think I have helped him uh, beyond the grave. Mm, Wow. That's a very interesting, insightful story. That's for sure. So let's talk about your father's legacy and his contribution to humanity as well as your own story, how you became part of it. So let's start with the book. Um, What was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, Winning the War on Cancer? So I wrote the book just for the 20th anniversary of the passing of my father. It felt like a proper time to look back and see what the has been achieved during those past 20 years, uh, what what happened and how did we get there from 20 years ago, everything was destroyed in France by the French government. And then 20 years later, there is this non-for-profit organization in, in New York with established partnerships with a number of academic institutions and scientific papers in peer-reviewed uh, journals coming coming out, you know, on a regular basis. I, I felt it was kind of extraordinary journey. I wanted to share that um, with a number of people. And I wanted also to inform them of this research and the results of this research. As long as it was just, you know, my father's work and it had not been confirmed, by other scientists, I I felt it was too early to really communicate about it because science is all about confirmation of the results. I really wanted to have this body of scientific confirmation and new recent American publications to share the story. This, the interview will have, I guess, two parts. One, about the journey. Talk to me about the journey in um, discovering how you learned about your father's Dr. Mikko Beljanski's, his discoveries, and um, how did you find your own voice? So I, I was uh, 
a young lawyer working uh, in in a law firm here in New York. Uh, it was my first year in New York. Um, I grew up in Paris. I felt a little bit lonely. You know, <laughs> New York is not easy uh, for everybody. I mean, at least the first year when you come from Europe. And I was calling my parents at home on a regular basis. And one, my father was passionate about his work. He was in his laboratory all the time. And uh, on that day, it was October 9, 1996, I called my dad at the lab and the telephone rings and rings and rings and rings. And I thought, that's strange. Not like him, but I'm going to call my mom at home and see what's going on. And I call my mom. And I hear a voice like that. Ma? And the voice says, you cannot speak to your mother. She's under house of arrest. So I say, I am a lawyer. I want to speak to my client. And uh, so the officer gave me my mom for two minutes. And that's how I learned that she was, you know, arrested. So I said, so what are the charge? Uh, and I mean, I learned there was a laundry list of things, you know, about all about distribution of pharmaceutical products and things like that. And she had no lawyer because she said, oh, but, but we have not done nothing wrong. There is no need for a lawyer. No, what, 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 no point to the expense. I said, okay, I understood that, you know, it was going to fall on me to take care of them. So I, my first thing was, you know, my legal background was to uh, call some friends in New York, find some, a lawyer to represent them. And then beyond that, I wanted to understand what, what happened. So I started to, to look into the legal file and what I found gave me, you know, goose pimples uh, to, because I realized it was not about justice. It was not as ar- about arresting people who had done something wrong. It was about suppressing a dis- scientific discovery that was helping people with cancer because it was natural. And something natural, which is successful, has to be destroyed. That is amazing, isn't it, Sylvie? I know it has been some time now, so how did you gather this courage to do what you do and speak the way you speak? I have received so much love, support, so, so many people have put so much trust in me that I felt I just, I could not fail them. I just could not disappoint them. I had to dare. I had to give it 150%. And they have helped me tremendously in so many ways. So, so, so many ways. So it has been a labor of love. It has been a team effort. Uh, and we were able to save a lot of this knowledge, uh, bring it here, uh, interest some scientists here, and then the rest was history. But much of the research of your father, it was saved, right? Most of it. Yes, yes. Uh, we, we were, uh, my mom 
has been working with uh, my father for uh, 50 years. So she has uh, already a lot of knowledge. And then uh, what, what happened is I was able to buy back my father's laboratory and I received all the computers loaded oh. with all the data. Wonderful. Speaking of <laughs> God, God, and, and, you know, good. Yeah, absolutely. I know you mentioned in the book about the uh, three promises. You promised your father three things. Yeah, so I promised him to continue with uh, products and to continue with uh, research. And I don't remember now what was the third one. Ah, yes, the European Court of Human Rights. Yes, <laughs> yes it's done. It was so outlandish. I mean, the case against my father was so outlandish and they did not instruct it properly. They knew my father was very sick and they didn't just let him die without giving him his day in court to give him a chance to, to clear his name. And we were able to take the case to the European Court of Human Rights and we won an unanimous case in 2008, um, no, 2002, uh, at the, uh, in Strasbourg, at the European Court of Human Rights, in the case Belzhansky uh, against France. Wow, that's wonderful that that's taken care of. Actually, everything, the promise is being carried. You've been doing the work. How wonderful. Talk to me a bit about the history on the war on cancer. The war on cancer, uh, the, the title, I mean, it's about the famous um, cancer, uh, National Cancer Act signed by uh, Nixon in 1971. It started uh, to, I mean, allowed a lot of federal dollars to be spent on the war on cancer. And the war was a kind of doomed from the beginning because it was actually about spending money on chemotherapy and uh, and making some pharmaceutical companies a little bit richer. It was not about helping people with prevention. There was absolutely nothing about understanding what makes people sick in the first place. I mean, why is there more and more cases of cancer? It was just about finding drugs that are genetically engineered so they can address some, you know, little uh, mutation of or such gene and uh, that makes a drug new, therefore patentable and therefore can bring a lot of money to pharmaceutical companies. But that's not really what is helping people. So that's why the subtitle of the book is The Epic Journey Towards a Natural Cure. Natural cure is not uh, something that was envisioned as part of the official war on cancer. Um, but does it mean that natural treatments are not helpful to us and are not exactly what we need? Right. As of today, you know, uh, I mean, the numbers of people dying, I mean, that are going to, yeah, dying of cancer is by millions around the world every year. I think it was six millions in uh, in 2000, 2017. Uh, and not, not much is being done, uh, especially if you compare with what is happening with now with the coronavirus, with a much less number, a smaller number of people, and the world come to a halt. Mm. 
and you can wonder why, where, where is the economic equivalence here? So more people die actually from cancer than... And much right. more. Yeah, absolutely. The first two causes of death are cancer and uh, heart disease. And the coronavirus, I mean, it's tragic, but it's, uh, it's a very, very small number compared to the, other, right. to the big killers. Right, right. I'll be asking you questions about the treatment, uh, with the research that you carry and how we can do that. But before I get to that, let me ask you another question about, you just talked about prevention, which is so important to know why we are getting sick, why so many of us are become intoxicated. Um, so my question is, how do you think this happened? How did the earth become so toxic? It has a lot to do with mankind, uh, with, uh, you know, since uh, the industrial revolution at the end of the 18th century, the number of, of chemicals that have been created uh, has been astonishing. Uh, with, uh, and released in the atmosphere without uh, proper testing to see if there was a carcinogenic or mutagenic. The number, you know, if you look at uh, processed foods, the pollution of the water, the pollution of the ocean with plastic, the heavy metals, everything. I mean, it's, it's cause of pollution above cause of pollution at the end. I mean, our DNA is so much destabilized by uh, those pollutants that at some point it becomes cancerous. Wow. Do you think that back then when they started with this whole idea, industrialization and all this revolution, were there alternatives to prevent this from happening, the toxicity, or they had no options really? I think at the very beginning, they did not know any better. They did not know that what would come next. As they probably did not understood that they were polluting so much. They probably did not understood that it was cumulative. And then they become, you know, when they start, the science at the time also was saying that cancer was only resulting from mutations, not from a not from the environment. It is my father's generation who fought uh, to make the link between uh, a pollution and cancer. But, you know, people responsible for pollution did not want to, to pay for that. So they fought really hard, uh, the idea. And uh, my father and other scientists uh, of, of back of the 70s, 80s, where I looked like you know, foolish buffoon to come up with those ideas of that environmental medicine would like did not mean anything at the time. But now we know that the environmental toxicity makes also the her sick and makes us sick. That is interesting. So in a way, you're saying that they didn't intend to do this. It was not on purpose. Maybe they were trying to solve a problem and they created another one. And then they became uh, defensive about it. Yeah, I'm sure that, you know, at the beginning of the, of the 19th century, uh, everything, it was about progress. Industrialization was looked upon like progress. I mean, I think all the modernization in the household, for example, the fridge, 
uh, a dishwasher, a washing machine. I mean, all those things were, you know, because of electricity. Yay! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Oh, God. <laughs> that was a good thing. <laughs> Everything was a good thing. Uh, looked upon like a good thing. And then planes and the, I mean, the possibility to, to reach another place, another continent in a matter of hours. Everything was new and exciting. How could they foresee that they were going to pollute the world to a point of almost no return? Right. Oh, wow. So speaking of that, hopefully there is something that we can do about it, which I know there's a lot of companies, a lot of uh, initiatives and in that, trying to make the, the earth cleaner. Um, what do you think are the most effective way to reduce or perhaps eliminate environmental toxicity as source at this time? Uh, from a global point of view, at the level, level of the world, I think it's pretty, pretty difficult because it, uh, that it's, it's about countries and uh, mostly uh, emerging countries which are polluting the most. It is a countries where there is, they have less economic comfort and therefore if they feel that if they don't pollute, they are not going to get catch up you know, with, with at the modern level of the other countries. Uh, and uh, um, But at the same time, now that they know that they are frantically polluting and that they are making their own population sick. Right. Uh, we need to find balance. So I'm wondering here, so what about what's happening now with the pandemic? Everything seems it seems like I have heard, I'm not sure, that the earth now is actually breathing and it's becoming healthier somehow. Well, yes, the fact that there is less activity has helped to clear the skies above a number of cities. So the, the air is better and satellites are able to catch those pictures of the less pollution of uh, big cities because they have come to a halt. Obviously, as soon as, you know, it's going to, to buzz again with activity, uh, we are going to get back to where it was. Yeah, so it, it's just a pause, but to have a perspective, perhaps, so, so it will make us think deeper and hopefully governments. At, at least it shows that it's reversible. But what is the price of reversing it? I mean, can we really uh, lock down everybody forever? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Right. It goes back to that word balance. Maybe this is the time to reflect so we can come to some sort of agreement that has a balance component to it. Um, hopefully. Right, Sylvie? Yeah. It's, but it's so much, you know, about economics. Uh, it's all, uh, so many things are about money. That's what, it is a driving force. So, so nowadays, you know, with uh, oil being, uh, being cheaper, people say that the green energy is not going to be so attractive. Yeah, it might take even deeper reflection. It starts with us anyway, like what are you doing, what I'm doing. We have to begin with ourselves and then perhaps one by one, we can make a difference by changing our own way of thinking in, in living. That's definitely what I'm trying to do with the Belzhansky Foundation, uh, being able to uh, take my father's work and uh, with partnerships with a number of uh, American institutions, show that there are some natural compounds 
that are able to help uh, people by, by, you know, by destroying cancer cells at every stage, precancerous cells, cancerous cells, advanced cancer cells that do not respond to chemotherapy, and even uh, metastatic cells that do not respond to hormonotherapy, that it's working on different kind of cancer. I mean, we worked at Columbia University with prostate cancer, at Kansas University with ovarian or pancreatic cancer. I mean, we show that, you know, we have, we have the possibility to help ourselves uh, and do, you know, turn to things which are natural, uh, which are scientifically documented and uh, can make a difference, be highly beneficial without toxicity and without side effects. Oh, wow. I love that. So let's talk about the researches and the products and everything that has to do with the Beljansky approach to wellness and also the, it's a holistic philosophy, which I absolutely love. So would that also be applied to prevention? Absolutely, absolutely, uh, because it is the same approach, uh, whether whatever the stage is. So we have uh, scenes, for example, that very often cancer starts with an inflammation. So we had some studies also showing how uh, some plant extracts are able to have an anti-inflammatory benefit. And then the same plant extract as an anti-cancer benefit because it all starts with a kind of destabilization of the DNA, which uh, results from the fact that the DNA is subjected to environmental toxins that um, modify the DNA. Under the pressure of those toxins, the, the DNA is no longer uh, nicely uh, put together like uh, um, nice ellipse uh, together and it's uh, the hydrogen bonds which are supposed to take, keep together the two strands of the DNA break and that's when the DNA becomes cancerous. But it's a cumulative and progressive phenomenon. It doesn't happen overnight. So that it means that it empowers us. We have the possibility to be aware uh, to reduce the amount of toxicity that surrounds us and that we put in our bodies. Mm. We can, you know, start detoxification. Right. And uh, we can replenish our body with the proper natural vitamins. We can boost our immune system. And if that's not enough, the compounds are there to help us prevent selectively the duplication of the DNA of those cells, which are, you know, become modified. Wow. What a wonderful approach, because I love this idea of prevention. Obviously, it helps. Oh, yeah, that's one. I have lots of questions here, but the first one, I guess. So this is not to replace conventional medicine or treatment, cancer treatment, is it? We have seen people now for the past 50 years. I mean, so we have seen everything. We have seen people who say, no, I don't want to take chemotherapy. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to put any poison in my body. I just want to take things natural. See an improvement and the research 
uh, explains how those plant extracts do kill cancer cells. But we have also documented that there is a synergy of action between the plant extracts and a number of chemotherapies. Uh, and we have seen people who say, you know, uh, this is, I want to everything I can put on my side to kill this beast. So I'll take the plant extract, I'll take the chemotherapy. Um, some decide to speak with their, about it with their doctor. Some have doctors who don't want to hear about anything. And they say whatever to their doctors, they don't say anything. But we have seen, we have seen everything. At this point, do you know of any case that's working more than others? For example, the combination or perhaps only the natural approach? It really depends on the people. And I, I keep saying, you know, about disease, what are you learning from the disease? Uh, what, what made you sick? Did you find what made you sick in the first place? Uh, if you live in a toxic environment, if you are with, you know, to in a toxic relationship with people, I mean, this is going, this, this, this toxicity is going to stay with you. And you, uh, you know, it's not you, any treatment. You are not going to, to, to get better if you do not address the cause of the disease. So the, sure, the, cap, you know, the little plant extract gives you time. What do you make with this time? Yeah, that makes so much sense. And then, wow, that's interesting that you mentioned uh, even emotional toxicity. It's very important because uh, emotions develop in us, you know, some chemicals. And as, as, as that's how the chemicals, you know, start physical reactions. Uh, they're just, just like a foreign body. Mm, the same way, right, Sylvie? Yeah, it's the result is uh, is about the same. I mean, and the high stress developed, you know, some hormones uh, and the blood pressure and things like that, and just uh, uh, and destroy our immune system. Yeah. Wow. And then you spoke of reducing toxicity around us. How do we do that in our own homes? Well, it has, you know, a lot to do with uh, the first cleaning products. Now, nowadays, we are speak a lot of cleaning products. So cleaning products that you are cho choosing, you know, to, to use, choose as much as possible natural products. Uh, once once again, and uh, things which you know have synthetic fumes that can, you know, add, be irritant for for your your uh, your skin, your lungs, and everything. Uh, it is about the cosmetics that you are using, the skincare also. It looks, you know, like golden, nice little boxes, luxury lines and so on, but it, actually it is mass market, uh, which is, has to be filled of preservative to be available all around the world uh, and not in fridge. So, I mean, you can, we can see how, I mean, some those creams, uh, in plastic jars, very often, have uh, to remain uh, looking fresh for two or three years. Uh, so it means they are filled with parabens and other things. And there are some studies showing that uh, in cancer tumor, for example, you find parabens. Where are they coming from? Well, because they are absorbed by the skin. Our skin is our largest organ of absorption. 
So, I mean, what we are uh, using, uh, putting on our skin, I mean, the, the lids, the cam- cambium, which are, you know, in lipstick and things like that, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, you have to choose carefully the brand that you, you want to, to, to use. And then uh, eating, drinking organic. We see a lot of uh, pancreatic cancer nowadays. There is a huge increase of pancreatic cancer. That probably has to do with what, you know, something is sprayed on our food or, or, or in the, on the wine, on the grapes. That's possible. We don't know. But um, it's really important to eat and drink organic. And it's important also to do some uh, detoxification from, from time to time and uh, to eliminate the heavy metals. Some people, you know, are tired, uh, feel sluggish and so on, and they never get tested for heavy metals. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know you talk in your book about detoxification. Um, How is this kind of approach different from the other ones out there? I think juice is is fine, but it's just the tip of the the iceberg. It's not, you know... uh, Putting some, you know, some some shakes in the from time to time uh, is good. I mean, it's going to fill you up with something healthy rather than a donut or something. Right, right. But, <laughs> True. But, but that's not that's not really a real detoxification, which one, once again has to address the emotions. So, talk to me about your products. Well, we, we do carry, of course, the plant extracts that stem from my father's research, and uh, we try to uh, have a line of products that help boost the immune system. We carry uh, natural vitamins. There is a big difference between natural and synthetic vitamins. Bioavailability of natural products is like 30% more than the synthetic one. And the synthetic, you know, if they are poorly absorbed, then you have to eliminate them. That's going to you know, burden your liver, another thing. You know. Speaking of liver, uh, you want to support your liver. You want to help your, your poor liver to, uh, to eliminate as much as possible. So we, we do have that to help regenerate the liver. We have uh, two products for that. We have also something to help eliminate the heavy metals naturally, to grab the heavy metals for the liver to expel the heavy metals, grab them and eliminate them because if it's not properly eliminated, it's going to be recycled again and makes the liver even more tired. We have some green juice also on the way and we have a tea uh, recently. Oh, we tea? A green tea that comes from actually the year I was writing my book at the time, uh, when I received a big box of papers coming from France. And uh, at the time of my, my father's laboratory was destroyed by a SWAT team. They took as much uh, things as, as they could to carry away. But what they could not take with them, too much to fill up the, the truck, uh, was left scattering, you know, scattered on the, on the floor. So a few days later, uh, my father's assistant came to the laboratory to, to put some order to the home. And she really, at, the, at her feet, she sees some paper with my father's handwriting. So she takes a box and she tries to salvage whatever she can. 
But what to do with the box? So the box is put in a garage and it stays there for, you know, in that warehouse for, for 20 years. As 20 years later, they decide to have enough to um, pay for the warehouse. And they find the box and they decide to then to send it to me. And uh, I open it and then I find this on my father's handwriting. It's kind of, you know, message uh, I received 20 years after his passing. Wow. And that is. That is amazing. Yeah. And, and there was a list of teas that he had tested. And next to f- four of them, it's written, Vere, Vere, Anti-C. Uh, like Anti-C can be only mean anti-cancer. So, but what does it mean, Vere, Vere? It's a little bit, it's, I mean, it's, it's uh, Vere, Vere, it's subjective. Uh, so we decided to uh, send uh, to Kansas University Medical Center a little mix of those teas that my father had mentioned, and some also some uh, Lipton, some Bigelow, some Kusmi, and we asked them to compare on um, breast cancer cells. And it turns out that all teas, all green teas, have uh, some uh, anti-cancer properties, but some are much more efficient than others. And then we wanted to see if those tea, just like uh, the other products that my father discovered, are they going to work on different kinds of cancer cells. So we took again the same blend of teas and we tested that against bladder cancer, liver cancer, and melanoma cancer. And uh, we have very nice results. So that's, um, I'm very proud of that. Wow. Yeah, that's an incredible discovery. And green tea, it is known for antioxidants and to help with cancer. It's interesting, a lot of these natural medicine, that's actually food, what we have every day. We just, by making better choices, we can be healthier and prevent actually so, so many diseases. Absolutely, food. The problem with food, if we are only relying on food, is that, you know, the soil is so depleted nowadays that the food, the vegetables, don't have all the vitamins and nutrients they used to give us. So they are not, often they are not enough now to just to keep us healthy. That's true. That's why I take supplements. Your products, are they affordable to everyone? Could anyone buy them? Well, our our products are uh, not cheap like you know uh things that you can read or things like that. no uh, i mean say it's very small batches uh, we uh, a lot of quality control for small batches so there is no economy of scale we do not buy ready-made extracts made in china we are making our own extractions with all the quality control that goes with it we are uh, investing a lot uh, in research so no we are not competitive compared to uh, other supplements available on the market. But what we are also is very unique. So, I mean, it's not very expensive compared to drugs. I mean, it's much cheaper than drugs, but it is, let's say, in the high high uh, category for the supplements. Yeah, no, that makes sense, Sylvie. You know, I, I believe that something which is even cheap is always too expensive if it's not effective. 
Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I believe that 100%. Maybe one day you'll be able to produce in mass quantities, so we'll lower the price and then it can be more accessible to everyone. One of you are from Brazil, so one of the plant ex- extract is coming from South America. It's called it's called Pau Pereira. Right, and right. Is no as you know, I mean, it's coming from the Amazon. The Amazon, unfortunately, shrinking. You, I mean, the, the trees. You don't have to cut them to collect the bark of the tree. I mean, it's able to. Uh, it's sustainable. It's able to. The trees are able to uh, grow back their bark. Uh, but you know the the Amazon is in endangered, so you cannot imagine that is. Uh, I mean, the quantity of paupera is going to magically increase by itself. No, no, it's getting actually more and more difficult over the years to source the raw material. Wow. Yes, that's true. That's another reality, right? Yeah, that is true. Hmm. So I guess uh, we can end with the intention, the beautiful intention that you have to help others from your heart and trying to help humanity somehow. My father has been able to make a difference with people that surrounded him in, during his life. And I am blessed to be able to do the same thing uh, for now for the past 20 years. Yeah, beautiful work. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Would you like to add anything, Sylvie, before I ask you my final questions? I have three questions for you, final ones. Well, I I want to to thank you. uh, And uh, if anybody wants to learn more about this line of research, what we are doing, please reach out to the Belgiansky Foundation at belgiansky.org, B-E-L-G-A-N-S-K-I.org. And we will get back to you. We will answer any question you might have, either about your health or about uh, the research that we are conducting. And we try to have uh, events also for now. I mean, it's, um, the events are a little bit, uh, we are going to go look into virtual events, but we are very uh, big on education and, um, and sharing this uh, wealth of knowledge. Right. Wonderful. I'll have that link verbally. We'll mention and also on our website. Thank you. So my last three questions about life in general. What is another word for healing? Soothing. Yeah. Yes. If you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Absolutely not. I love that answer. (laughs) And what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? That it is short. That we are going to be okay. And what matters the most is what you give. Mm, Yeah, yes. Thank you so much for your presence and your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you so much, Valeria. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Sylvie Beljansky, please visit her website, thebeljanskyblog.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast.
I want to thank the Patreon members Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.